0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Traceability Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Edwards, and today we have my friend Diana Alt with us. Diana is a connector, a problem solver, and a career strategy coach, and she uses the skills she's gathered um, throughout her 20-plus years in corporate product development roles to, in turn, help people manage their careers in business. She does this by helping people get out of their own way and helping them build confidence and set boundaries and... Create a vision for an awesome life. And she believes in the principle that work should feel good, not like a long, slow march towards oblivion. So I like that. That is definitely my feeling as well. And uh, Diana and I kind of discovered we're kindred spirits in that regard, that work should be meaningful and that we need to take ownership of our careers. And so, welcome. So happy to have you here today.
1: I always find it interesting to listen to people read your bio because it sounds so formal. And so many bios sound like it's almost like they sound more like an obituary. Like you were trying to convince me that you've lived an awesome eighty-year life. I'm like let's have a little fun. <laughs> <laughs> our
0: our bios should indeed be fun. So yeah. appreciate that. Typically, how we start out here is we. Go back to the beginning and ask how you got your start in business analysis and product development and take it away. That's so interesting.
1: And I know one of your guests, Thea Reasons, really well. I've known her for over 10 years. As a matter of fact, listening to her and another one of your guests, Judy, is what made me pick up the phone and call you. And I think Thea was on to something when she said she thinks she'd always been a business analyst, like ever since she was a little kid. In my case, I don't know that I was a kid when I figured it out, like she said, but I probably started down this path in high school for sh- or In high school and definitely in college. I went to an engineering school, University of Missouri Rolla, which is now Missouri University of Science and Technology for the youngsters. And I studied chemistry in my undergraduate, engineering management in my graduate program, but my dad, who was also on the faculty, always said that Diana studied extracurricular activities. So I got a lot of enjoyment out of working with people in leadership roles and student governments and my sorority and all those types of things. And I was always trying to figure out how we could do things better, how we could onboard people, how we could make new members of organizations feel more welcome. And then, so I did I did that in several organizations. And then in the student government, I got involved in things like reauthoring our constitution for the student government and completely changing the way we did student body elections and serving on a lot of committees and things. So there was a lot of what problem do you want to solve and writing and talking to people and figuring out what's the best way to get down on paper, how we do these things. And I was in college, I started in college in the fall of 1993. So that was back still in hardcore waterfall days where we wrote everything down. I also, in college, talked a lot about how I felt like I was the most right-brained person on a left-brained campus. Really, I'm pretty balanced. I'm a pretty analytical person, as well as uh, someone that's interested in people. So I was a little bit different, though, than a lot of the people that were very, very focused just on their math or engineering or technology future careers. After I got out of school, I ended up going into IT consulting right when the internet boom was going on, and I discovered pretty quickly that I didn't much like coding. You know, in 1999 when a lot of people were starting in technology, no matter whether they were in the IT consulting space or somewhere else, they were coding. I mean, we were we were taking 2-bit fields and turning them into 4-bit fields for Y2K and things like that. I realized that I liked testing, and I liked project management, and I liked working through processes with people, but I didn't like coding as much. So I did that for as short of a period as I could. I still didn't know the name of this role called business analysis. I just knew that I wanted to marry up the people and the technology at the time. So over the next few years, I had a couple of different jobs, like a lot of us did, that survived a couple of layoffs during the tech wreck. And I eventually moved to Kansas City and landed in a development role at Cerner where I was doing reporting development for CRM systems, but it was a very small team. And for sales reporting, I was one of one or two people that was working on it. So I had to do all of it. I was the BA, the coder, the tester, the deployer, the everything. And at that point, I figured out that business analysis was really a role and a thing and a job that people did full time and that I liked it a lot better than trying to wrangle bits and bytes. So I started my first official business analyst role at Cerner in 2003. And pretty much was on that trajectory for almost 10 years. I mean, I had been doing BA work without the title as part of jobs for a long time. But I was a BA for at least part of my duties for jobs for a number of years. And eventually in 2010, I shifted more into the product management realm because I worked for a company in Kansas City that got bought out by RSA Security. And they said, congratulations, people that used to be BAs are product managers now, which is not really a very good way to go find your product managers. But for me, it worked because I actually had a lot of the background in the business acumen. So from that point, my career was a lot more focused on the product management side of things. And I did that sort of work and thought in that way for honestly, until today, I've had other roles, account management, I own my own business now, you know, I do consulting, but it's always been kind of about how do we marry up all of the business and technology and process things to solve market problems.
0: So I kind of want to go back a little bit because, you know, as you're starting out, as you're growing up, I think you landed on a really good way to discover your gifts. And that was through getting involved. Maybe speak to that a little bit about the importance of getting involved in stuff. Yeah, that can and how that can kind of guide you towards the the things that you're good at and, and the things that you perhaps don't necessarily know about yourself initially. Yeah, it's interesting that getting involved in stuff is honestly one of the things anyone can do.
1: I actually tell a lot of my career, career coaching clients, which is one of my main areas of my business now, that the top skill that they can have and communicate to an employer is actually learning. And so for me, just trying different stuff is one of my top favorite ways to learn. I was not always wired this way. When I was younger, I was one of those kids that made straight A's. I did very well in school. And I had a few things that I had some really innate talent. And as a kid, sometimes if you're not really actively taught about, it's okay not to you know, knock everything out of the park, we don't always want to try new things. Because it's like, if you don't think you can immediately be good at it, you think you're a failure. So when I was younger, I spent my effort mostly on music, Academic pursuits. I always liked to read and to learn. You know, learner is one of my superpowers. But when I got to college, it feels like, you know, the game changes. You have a whole new world that you get involved in. And so I was still doing things with music. I took choir classes in an engineering school, which is kind of an interesting choice. Not a lot of people do that. But I got elected to be my floor's student council rep like the very first I'm i I'm in, on campus for two days and every dorm floor has to have a student council rep. And I'm like, I got to show up to a meeting every other week. I can do this. I can speak for my people. And it turned out that I'm a really good cat herder. I'm a good organizer and I can help activate and acclimate people. And so... For that new set of student council reps, I actually was sort of put in charge. It was almost like being class president of the student council reps. I don't, I, think, I don't even remember what we called the role. But I was sort of trying to help be the representative to orient all these new freshmen and sophomores into the student government. And I realized that I lear- liked learning how the campus ticked. Because student government ended up helping teach me that. And I sure did not think I was going to come on here and talk about student government. Right? You do a really, you're a little, little sneaky there with trying to pull these stories out of this Tracy. superpower there, don't you? But I just, I figured out that there was all this stuff that I had never done. And there was not really very high risk to doing it. And it basically plugged me into the campus, and I was on in student government all the way through until I got my master's degree, helping in some way, shape, or form. I was on exec. I was a um, kind of a member at large for a while, and eventually, by the time I was a couple semesters from getting my master's degree, I was like the wise old soul in the back, or Waldorf and Staller, the guys from the Muppets. <laughs> it was like that for some of us old folks. But it was very important to me to tap into those activities. And through that, I discovered a lot of other things on campus that I could be involved in. I learned more about different departments. I learned more about different clubs. I eventually decided to join a sorority my sophomore year. Everything that I was doing was plugging into the stuff that they don't teach in class. And one thing I firmly believe is that academics are important in college, but the things that you learn outside the classroom often have more lasting impacts. The extension of that in the real world where we work for um, teen years until we decide retire is that very often our superpowers are not the things that are in the job description. Probably the people that you've worked with that have enjoyed working with you the best don't even know what your job description was they know something else about Tracy. Tracy always seems to, you know, get to the heart of the problem quickly or Tracy carrying. or Tracy does a good job of thinking about all perspectives. And those things aren't what HR writes in a job description that they then post on Indeed. It's kind of like the extension of that.
0: Maybe talk about how you can marry some of those things into a, a job that doesn't necessarily use those things in the job description. How can you sort of A, A, maybe find the job and then sort of make it your own through some of these other-
1: I feel like um, one of the top things that people miss whenever they're looking for work is actually thinking about themselves and what they want. So very often when someone decides that they want a new job or if they get laid off or something and they need a new job, what they do is they look at hard skills that they used. They look at job titles that they've had, they immediately go on LinkedIn or Indeed or the website of some company that they're interested in. And they start searching for that stuff. It's particularly dangerous, in my opinion, for technology workers that are in high demand to do that. So in my bio, you talked about how my philosophy is that work should feel good. Well, there's reasons why work doesn't feel good to people. The first is that they're in the wrong work. Like they just aren't doing the right thing. Kind of like for me, when I figured out, I just don't like keeping up with this programming stuff. I want to do more on the front end of things and whatnot. So I got out of being a software developer pretty quickly. I did that for a couple of years early in my career. So the work wasn't right. The second reason is that their leadership is not right, which could usually is their direct boss because Your direct boss can make you miserable, even if you work for a wonderful company. Um, But it can be other leaders that you're involved with. And then the third thing is that your environment is not right. So a lot of times people tend to look at business analysts or computer programmers or whatever and think that they're all the same. And a programmer that's going to thrive in a highly structured company with a lot of regulatory requirements that's very buttoned up, like Cerner had a lot of that to it there. Changed a lot since then. Someone that's going to thrive at the five thousand to ten thousand to fifty thousand person company is different than the one that wants to be around the card table in the garage with the startup. And so that environment is important. And environment is also kind of where a lot of the company culture stuff do you get treated as an adult or are they yelling at you if you're not at your desk by eight oh five? Much of that's been exposed during COVID. Like people have out exactly how flexible and how much they get treated like an adult during COVID whenever they yeah, so yeah. I say all that as a preface that my process involves people really digging deep into what it is that they actually want. Where are they dissatisfied with their work life? What is their purpose? What are their values? I For almost all clients that I work with, I actually have them take the Clifton Strengths or Finder test, you see it branded two different ways to figure Mm -hmm. out what you're good at and then dig into the stories of where you felt really successful. And all of that is before you even start to apply for a job. Now, if I have a client come to me and they say they got laid off and they know exactly the type of work that they want to do and the type of environment, we will proceed straight into planning, you know, a job search marketing strategy. But 90% 90% of the people that approach me say I need a resume and 90% of those people don't need a resume first. They need to think about what it is that's good for them. What they want to do once you get a job. So assuming you can go through that process, think about your strengths, think about where you felt successful and find the right type of role, which sometimes involves a big role shift. And sometimes it's just a tweak. When you, once you've gotten there, you, you go into your new job or your current job, if you want to try to reboot where you're at, and you use the information you've discovered about yourself to have conversations with your leadership and with your peers about, I know this is what our mission is, but I'm really good at this, or I really enjoy this. Can we figure out how to inject some of that into my work? Because it's very motivating to me, and I think that you know it will benefit our projects in X, Y, Z ways. One of the reasons a lot of companies like to do personality assessments or, you know, strengths finders or Myers-Briggs or things like that for a team is that they're trying to actually do that because the stuff written down by HR for a senior business analyst or a project manager or whatever the heck you are, it doesn't capture that I might have my top five strengths be Input, Learner, Maximizer, Arranger, and Intellectual. And you also as a BA might have completely different strengths that you want to play too. So figure out how to do things.
0: Thinking back to different people's journeys and and that kind of thing. Sometimes sustaining a career to be in a career for the long haul can be a challenge, I, I guess is a is a way to put it. Going through some of those exercises can take a number of years sometimes, as in my case, it it did as I was trying to figure out some of that for myself. Can you speak to some of that? What to do when we're sort of feeling dissatisfied? We're in mid-career, we're in early career, and we're just not sure where it is that we're going, and how do we get through those times to a point that we can actually sort of sustain long-term a career into our you know, later years? Well, I think there's a couple things that we need to distinguish between.
1: And one is that there's a difference between a career and a job. So very often, people chase the wrong thing. To me, I have had some people would tell you that I've had umpteen careers, but I don't think that that's the case. I think that I am currently at the beginning of my second career. I've had a number of different jobs. Like, I'm like a lot of IT people who have changed jobs on average every two years, two to three years, and very often had a transfer, you know, a department transfer, a team transfer, a promotion, something like that during tenure at those companies. That to me is job changes, not career changes. I have had a 20 year long IT product development career focused in software. I still do some of that under my own business. I do the career coaching stuff and I do product strategy consulting and business strategy consulting for small businesses. That's different than what I did in corporate for years. So people chase job security all the time. And I advocate for chasing employability. Career security is another way to look at it. Um, And at this point, since I've jumped over into the entrepreneurial space, I'm really getting passionate about the notion of pursuing multiple revenue streams. Our goal isn't necessarily to have a single career that we work at for 40 years until we retire. Our goal is to make enough money to get the things that we need and want for our life. So for most people, The majority of that income does come from working for someone else, which is fine. Not everybody is suited to do what I'm doing. Some days I'm not suited to what I'm doing. But if we look at our objective is career longevity instead of job security, the first thing that that does is it opens you up to the notion of I might not have to work for this guy or in this company or in this department at this large company forever. So you got to be open to the notion that you might be doing similar work to scratch your itch in a different environment. Does that make sense, Tracy?
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. When we're young, we're not always prepared to think in that manner, you know, as we're sort of coming up.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I'm a classic example of that. Because I grew up with two, two parents that were junior college professors. And so they had for decades, basically the same job title and the same employer. So I really had a rude awakening whenever I went into the workforce in corporate America, which my family had no experience in, and got hit by layoffs. Like I had two layoffs within the first two and a half years of my career. My dad and my dad in particular was like, why can't you hold a job? Like he, thought, <laughs> it's like, he thought you have this master's degree, but are you, like, why can't you hold a job? And that's a completely different experience than what, what they went through. And my father would tell you that he never actually applied for a job because he always knew somebody. And there's something to that. We underval. right now, right now people are overvaluing, like hacking their resume for the ATS and undervaluing the powerful power of meaningful networking my dad I mean his his first job from the time he could practically walk was working on the family farm and then after he graduated from high school I believe it was high school he worked for the railroad for a year or two which I didn't even know until after he died because he had this like pension or some sort of railroad retirement with like two years of stuff in it that my mom found out about so he did that, and then he went to college, and then his first job was, you know, teaching high school, and he knew a guy, and then he went back for his master's degree, and then he taught at a junior college, and he knew a guy, and then he went to work at a brand new junior college where he spent most of his career, like 27 years or something like that, and he knew people that were on the founding faculty. So, you know, he just didn't apply for jobs. I mean, he might have to fill out an application, you know, dot some and I's and dots and T's, but he never applied for a job so he did not understand what i was going through in 2000 and 2001 where i was desperately trying to figure out who needed someone with my skills so that was a little bit of a rabbit trail as far as career longevity is concerned so not being tied to your department or to your company is one of the biggest ways the second way i'd say is to not be tied to job titles so people get overly tied to, I'm a this, I'm a project manager, I'm a director of IT, I'm a business analyst, I'm a this. And the fact is that business analyst is not something you major in in college. 99% of the time, it is not something that you graduate and go straight into. Especially every. I mean, you know this, this is your episode, you said. So you've interviewed at least nine other people that did another job before in their career, before they became a business analyst. There's also things that can be after business analysts. You know, one thing I was involved with the IIBA here in Kansas City for many years. I helped start after I was on the board for a long time, including being president for a year. And the big thing people would talk about is how business analysis seems to have a cap Like you would get to a point and there wasn't anything farther to go. And in the early days of the IIBA, we were talking about the Royal Bank of Scotland, I think, all the time, about how they actually created a very high up career trajectory for business analysts. And the reason we talked about that is because they were about the only people doing it. Nobody else was thinking in those terms. You had to either turn yourself into a product, uh, into well, at the time, like back in 2007, it wasn't especially in the Midwest, people weren't turning themselves into product managers. The common wisdom 10 years ago was that you started as a tester, you got promoted to be a BA, and then you got promoted again to be a project manager. In reality, all those are very different skill sets and finding a person that even over the course of a 10 or 15 year period is gonna be good at all three of those things is rarer than Hensteeth. I've done all three of those jobs. I'm, I'm the best at being a BA. So getting to where you're not so tied to the job title is good, because then you can start thinking about what else is there. So in my career, product management was something that came very naturally to me because product managers work with requirements. But depending on how your organization is set up, You might have support from a business analyst. So maybe some of the really detailed functional requirements your business analyst is helping drive through with you because you have focused on what are the user needs and what are the market problems that we're going to be using. And so it becomes an extension of something that you are already good at. Um, Similarly, things like process improvement engineers or process architects. That's another type of thing that uses a lot of skills for a business analyst, but can be elevated. It can end up being management roles, can end up being really well paid. If you're a good business process architect, that can be a very lucrative thing to be in. And so you need to divorce yourself from, I'm a BA, and instead think, I have these skills that I honed in my years as a BA. What else can I use them for?
0: I love that and I keep saying this, we just often don't, like you say, take the ownership of our career. We don't take the time to learn ourselves, to um, understand our gifts and talents and superpowers, et cetera. There's
1: another big thing that people do, and that is they do what they think they're supposed to do. There's a very big, there's a lot of ego and status concern and things like that, that people have their career. And One of the things I've loved so much about jumping into the entrepreneurial world is watching who has ego about what they're doing and who doesn't and what the impact on their business is. I met with a business coach last week, Roberto, in Nashville. He and my mastermind coach, Terry, basically said, we're going to drag your business through them on here and figure out how you're going to be able to be a coach that scales. Because most coaches starve, coaches and consultants starve, because it's hard to be billable at the rate you want and maintain energy and all that stuff. So Roberto told a story about a client he was working with that was being extremely stubborn about something in their business. Like, I think it was maybe about the product name or the business name, something like that. And at one point, he was very frustrated. And so he finally just said, Look, do you want to do you want to How did he say it? It was something to the effect of, do you want to be a slave to your ego or do you want to go live your dream? Because this person was being really intractable about something that he knew from his experience simply was not going to work. So we get very tied to our golden handcuffs and we get very tied to our... Well, you know, I was a senior manager here and I don't want to take a job there because it's, you know, I wanted to be a director next or whatever. And we end up staying slaves to situations where we may never get what we want (laughs) or we aren't actually inspecting if the next career step that HR or our boss told us we should take in that company is actually good for us.
0: I want to go back to something you said about meaningful networking. I, especially these days, there is a lot of networking going on, even more so than normal. A lot of it is not particularly meaningful. So, maybe can you speak to what equates to meaningful networking and how that can get you into different situations that that might be better fit to the, et cetera. The top
1: most important criteria for meaningful networking is that it needs to be rooted in a desire to build relationships and serve others first. So here's what meaningful networking does not look like. It does not look like if you're a small business owner and you're on LinkedIn, one of the things that happens oftentimes multiple times a day is somebody that is an SEO expert or a lead generation ninja or something like that will try to connect with you and they will immediately push you a message with a sales pitch. Like, I'm so interested. I help consultants get a full, full funnel. And I'm like, I'm busy. I don't need a, Like, I don't need the funnel that you seem to think I need. And they don't give any indication that they've actually even read your profile behind the, behind the fact that some job entry on your work experience as owner. And they think, okay, I can sell this person lead generation. That's a really, for entrepreneurs, that's an example that happens multiple times a week. Um, in, for people that are real, especially really hot technical resources, you know, those rare skill sets like data scientists or really good product, product managers or almost anybody working in the IT space has experienced this at some point. It looks like a cold email from a recruiter who has not read your profile to know that the job posting they're trying to send you is for something you did 10 years ago or only related. I will get things asking me um, to please submit my resume for the perfect role for me that that's always in there somewhere, Um, which is a QA analyst position that's going to make $50,000 fifty to seventy thousand dollars less than I made. Yeah. You're laughing because you have this happen to you. you know. I have this happen all the time. Yeah. So that kind of thing is rooted in what what can the person I'm reaching out to do for me. And that's not right. It should be in what can I do for you. So whenever you and I talked, I had listened to Thea's podcast and I had listened to Judy's podcast episode with you. On my way across, I was driving from Kansas City to St. Louis. What else are you going to do? You're going to listen to podcasts. And I just called Thea after I got done. And I was like, This was great. I love listening to you. And this Tracy lady seems amazing. Tell me more. And she told me a little bit about me. you and gave me your number. And I just wanted to talk to you about what you were trying to do to see if I could help. Now, there a little twinkle of, Yeah, it could be fun to be on a podcast. Of course. But I was also interested in what you're about because I think anybody that's trying to help people inspect careers is an important voice to listen to right now. So we chatted, what, 45 minutes or so while I was yeah. driving across I-70. And yeah. and I wasn't even sure you would be interested in having me on your show because I've moved past business analysis and I'm doing other things for myself. And you said, no, that's like, that's hope for people. That's Hope we can show them some things past what they may be thinking about. So, I didn't want anything other than just to connect with someone that was doing something cool. And so, we need to think about that first. How can I help people? You know, I'm sure that if I sat down and brainstormed, I could think of five BAs with different backgrounds. You could connect with um, my friend Scott has a podcast, and he says that I'm his booking agent. I am not. <laughs> I just, I, I'm not a booking agent. I just will say, well, this person could be cool. This person could be cool, and then he makes a connection on his own after an introduction. But just in trying to help people do their thing. So I'm actually going to a conference later this year that's literally called the thing because everybody has a thing.
0: Oh, that's and so, cool.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. You might enjoy it. Maybe you can, there'll be a lot of podcasters there. I can see I, that. I will
0: have to have to look that up for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: it's a, it's pretty cool, cool stuff. You know, my bio also says I'm a connector and I just like to keep my little encyclopedia of information about people. When I run across someone that I think should meet somebody else, I make it happen. So I do, I do that with my clients. I do it with my network. A lot of times what I tell people that um, coach and consult with me is you don't just get me and my expertise, but you also get appropriate introductions in my network and that can be really powerful. And it's just to try to create a little bit better of a hive mind. Like I want people to be successful and happy. There, work work is too much part of our life for it to suck. Like we should not let our work lives suck. And we have the power to take control of it. So,
0: absolutely. I completely agree with everything you just said. And I think that's a really good point to end it on today. Take ownership of your careers, network meaningfully, reach out to people and offer g- help, ask how you can help them, discover your gifts, work to become the person that you want to become in your life and in your career. So what's coming up for
1: you? Oh, gosh, what's coming up for me? I am, I feel like I'm doing all the things. I was doing a lot of consulting work that kind of went on pause during the pandemic. And now all it's all coming back to life. But I'm actually uh, working a lot on developing my coaching framework um, so that I can not just work one on one with people, but hopefully develop some courses and some content and things like that just to help folks uh, because I can only do one-on-one coaching with so many people and only people can afford it. So that's a big focus for me. And like I said, I've been dragging my business strategy through the mud. So I'm sure some other things are going to be happening soon. But that's my top focus is trying to figure out how to help people that don't feel like they have power, have the confidence Mm -hmm progress their career in the way that they want to.
0: So how can people get in touch with you? The best way to get in
1: touch with me, honestly, is just shoot me an email. My email address is diana.alt at dkacoaching.com. And so please do send me an email. Let me know. You heard about me on the traceability podcast and I probably will have some nuggets created in the next few weeks that I can send to people. I'm also on LinkedIn, um, Diana Alts, and I have a Facebook presence as well. My website is currently completely under construction. So that'll come to life soon. And I'll have that linked from all those other places. So that's the best Great.
0: way. Cool. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Diana. I've so enjoyed uh, our times chatting. And and for those of our listeners, your call to action today is to do some of the things that diana has recommended and shoot me an email tracy t-r-a-c-i-e at traceabilitypodcast.com or follow me on the traceabilitypodcast.com website and uh, let me know what's one thing you're going to do to take action to own your career and uh, your life today i don't hear those too you'll have to forward any of those you get to me absolutely will